Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. And now, enjoy our latest episode. I'm just as much experiencing things on the live as they are experiencing things on the live, so I try not to get too inside my head. I try to just go get in there and show people what's happening and and let them know that that's what it is. Most journalists these days have acted as a one-man band at one time or another, reporting, writing, producing, and posting their own stories. While that can often be a burden, it also offers a great deal of freedom to those who can take advantage of it. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Shanna Fold is a journalist and the creator and host of the Israel Daily News podcast. Although she's from New York City, Shanna lives and works in Tel Aviv. She's also the researcher for the Showtime series Ghosts of Beirut, a docudrama about a high-level commander in Hezbollah who was killed in a secret joint operation between the CA and Mossad. Shanna, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thank you for having me on the show. It's so fun to be in the presence of journalists. I love journalists. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, before we dive into anything, let's, let's talk a little bit about what you were doing last night. You were out late doing journalism? <laughs> I was. I was. Although for me, it was an early night because I'm a night owl and I stay up. I'm a person who likes to work into the wee hours of the morning. But I was out last night in the streets of Tel Aviv where... We had one of the biggest protests in months. Uh, People in Tel Aviv and in Israel have been protesting throughout all the major cities of this country for about six months now, contrasting the government that is working on a judicial overhaul. And the first part of this process was actually voted in last night in an official vote. And so the people of Tel Aviv, specifically because Tel Aviv is a a more progressive city and our current government is a much more conservative, in fact, our most conservative government that we've had as a nation since the founding of Israel, which was in 1948. So things were just wild last night. People were sad. In fact, the momentum that you might have felt on any other protest night here in Tel Aviv It was different last night. I've covered so many of them and people bring drums and they're dancing and they're joyous and there's laughter. Last night, there was still some of that, but people were reporting to me that they were just sad to see this vote go through. There were fires. The fire department had to put out a bunch of fires that people started in the roadways which is, of course, is just meant for aesthetics. You know, I assume that it's it's all for the media to take pictures and videos. I don't think that anyone's doing it because they're trying to hurt people. Everyone was smoky and my hair smelled like smoke and and it was a big deal. How do you prepare yourself for that, for going out and covering something you know, like that? Well, I will say that one of the things that I enjoy very much about working in Israel is there is a certain sense of responsibility that I think that Israelis have for one another. And while I know that the media is showing a lot of violence from these protests, it's really the photographers are going out there to find those moments. I'm not saying that those moments don't exist. They do exist. But most protests are peaceful. Most people are respectful of one another. Most people are getting along. 
And people are pretty friendly at these types of things because they assume that if you're there, it's because you're a part of the resistance. So I don't get too concerned or anxious or worried. I kind of just throw on my most comfortable walking shoes. I don't try to take the bus. I don't try to take a car because you won't get anywhere on a night of a protest in this city. And I am lucky enough that I live right in the center. So I just walk there. I went live. I have a great listener and viewership. So I know that whoever's coming on to see me in action understands that I'm just as much experiencing things on the live as they are experiencing things on the live. So I try not to get too, I try not to get too inside my head. I try to just go get in there and show people what's happening and let them know that that's what it is. So you're shooting video and, you know, reporting as you're, as you're experiencing, as you're seeing things. Yeah, I would call it a one man band live shot. It's like I'm doing a live shot where I'm saying, because I have a deep TV background, I'm doing the producing. I'm also the on camera reporter. I'm telling the crowd. And now I'm going to turn the camera around for you all to see the scene unfolding behind me. And so I'm doing all of that, but I'm doing it on Instagram and I'm doing it with videos and I'm doing it in a very new age media kind of a way, just using my training that I had from traditional newsrooms. So is the audience that you have, is that something you've built up via the podcast or other reporting you've done? Or is it just that, hey, here's some live video from from Israel. This is what's going on. You think that's where your audience is coming from? My audience is definitely from my podcast. My online presence is hugely responsible from the podcast. I've been running the podcast for three years. And it's really interesting because, first of all, with the internet, you never really know where somebody found you. So there's definitely times where I can see a spike. Like, let's say I release an article for the Jerusalem Post. And then I see the next day that I have 10 new followers on Instagram, right? And I can look at those followers and I can make a guess, you know, why they started to follow me. But you never really know. Yeah, that's for sure. So before we get much further into it, let's, let's sort of backtrack a little bit. Now, you're from New York City. How'd you get interested in, in journalism in the first place? I love that you're taking me back to New York City because it's my home. It's where I'm from. And that never leaves you, no matter where you go or where you end up, where you live. And if you're a New Yorker, you don't even have to ask because us New Yorkers, we're so proud of being New Yorkers. It is first and foremost in my identity is being a New Yorker. And that's actually hard because, you know, people will meet you and say, what are you doing here? Why do you live outside of New York? It's the best city in the world. What are you doing here? So New York City is um, my pride. And when people ask me, where are you from? Which country are you from? When people ask me, which country are you from? I tell them Queens, New York. <laughs> yeah. So when did, when did you first decide that you wanted to be a reporter or was it a decision? Did it just sort of happen? I definitely remember a few things that guided me in this. When I was in kindergarten in a Queens, New York, New York City classroom, I have this picture that my mom saved in a folder and we all went around the room and we made pictures of ourselves with paper. And at the bottom, we wrote what we were going to be when we grew up. And mine said author. 
<laughs> which I think is pretty close. It's in the ballpark. Sure. Pretty close. Yeah. So I've always been interested in reading. I've always been interested in stories. And then when I was in the sixth or seventh grade, I had a teacher named Ms. Fash. And somehow I was lucky enough to go to a public New York City school that had a state of the art TV station in the middle school. Okay. Yeah. And it wasn't like a magnet school or like a fancy. It was a general New York City public school. I think the coolest thing about it was this TV station. And I remember being in a media class. We took media class. And the teacher explained that we were going to have this media class and we were going to make TV shows and that uh, she was going to need to choose a host for the show. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to need to beat out the competition in this room (laughs) for whoever wants to be the host of this show, because I assumed in my mind it's seventh grade. Everyone's going to want to be the host of the show, because why would anyone not want to be the host of the show? It's, It's obviously so cool. It's the thing. Exactly. And I was one of two people that raised my hand. So my hand was up and I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This is my opportunity. I got in there. I ran this Queens Public Access show. I don't remember much about it. I have it all on cassette tapes and, you know, the big ones and DVDs. But I remember that we I hosted some kind of a program for a number of adult Chinese businessmen that came to my school. I have no under, I do not know why, but I remember just taking them into the show and going around and interviewing all of them. And I was 12 and that's where it started. I've been in love with media ever since I held on to my dream and I made it a priority when I was looking for universities that wherever I went had to have a TV radio and newspaper. Okay. So, you know, you went to college, you, you pursued a journalism career How'd you end up in Israel? Wow. So first of all, I'm Jewish and Israel is the homeland of the Jewish people. And it's a historic thing that the Jewish people have the state of Israel at this time. The Jewish people have been exiled from Jerusalem. They were exiled about 2000 years ago by Romans. And we've yearned and longed to come back ever since. And it's in the scriptures and it's in the books and it's in, they say that it's in the heart of every Jew. I think despite growing up in New York city, where there's a huge Jewish community, I still always recognized that I was other. I recognized that Christmas was not my holiday when everyone was celebrating Christmas. I recognized that There was so much confusion about me asking for a cheeseburger without the cheese because Jews don't eat meat and milk together. And I had spent so much time in Israel because my aunt moved here when she was 25. Actually, I moved when I was 24. My aunt moved when she was 25. And because of that, my mother and I made and my father, we made journeys to Israel as frequently as we could. And my mom loved it. My mom was here for a year in college. 
And so I always held on to this feeling that Israel was independence because when I would come to Israel, my mom would let me do whatever I want. I could get on the train. She was very free with me. So I think I always connected it to that. And as I got older and I yearned and wanted to be in a place where my Judaism could actually take a backseat in my identity. And, you know, you always just you want to be a New Yorker. You don't want to be a New York Jew. So here in Israel, I feel like I can actually be my whole full self and I can be a journalist and I can also be a Jew because it's just my lifestyle and I don't have to go out of my way to make those lifestyle choices. It's just built into the culture and it's so freeing. Yeah. So when you went to Israel, did you set out to do a a podcast or did that just sort of come along the way? Wow, I did not set out to do a podcast. I don't think I, any of us do, but go. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was forced into taking a radio class in my undergrad. Like, and like that they forced you. <laughs> yeah. In retrospect, I am lucky that they made me take that radio class because all the things that they told me about radio and all the things that I learned about radio and even the basic editing, you know, it's the little things that make a podcast come together. And you and I both know the listener doesn't always know what's happening to them while they're listening to a quality piece of audio, but you have to have somebody show you how to do certain things. Anyway, I came to Israel with the intention of being a journalist. I got my job. My first job was an editor at the Jerusalem Post, which I only did for one day. I was an editor at the Jerusalem Post for one day. I had this wonderful editor that I'm still in touch with. I told him, listen, I thought that I wanted to live in Jerusalem. I thought I wanted to do this, but I don't. I want to be a writer. I'm a writer. I'm a reporter. I'm not an editor. And I want to live in Tel Aviv. And he said, Shanna, go to Tel Aviv and I will call you when you get there. He gave me my first freelance assignment about a week and a half to two weeks later It was a slam dunk. I made sure to do an excellent job on it. And I've been freelance writing for the Jerusalem Post now for five years. And I had various news jobs for the English speaking market here in Israel, which is small. It exists, but it's small. And it got to a certain point where I looked around and I realized that I didn't want to put my fate into the hands of the select English broadcasts that existed here. And I decided that if I want to make Israel my home, I need to create my own, my own news agency, my own, my own lane so that I can, you know, I don't have to be at somebody else's disposal. So the Israel Daily News podcast, well, first of all, you know, what we were talking about at the beginning, the live shot that you did, I mean, did you find when you you're, you're publishing your podcast, is the audience mostly in the U.S.? Is it in New York and the West Coast? Or are you seeing people from all all around? I have to say that I expected this podcast to reach mostly Jewish people in, on the East Coast of the United States. I guess I thought that just simply because that's where I'm from. And I assumed that I'd be attracting people in a similar sphere. I have... So many Christian listeners 
I have Muslim listeners. I have Israeli listeners that are Hebrew speaking, but choose to listen to my show because they like that it's 10 to 15 minutes and that it's short and that I'm just giving over the news. I have about 65% of my listeners are currently in the United States, but not just on the East Coast. I have a lot in Texas. I have in California. I have in Florida. I just have people from all over, from everywhere. Somebody reached out to me just days ago from New Amsterdam, which I had to Google just Europe, Latin America, you name it. Just name a place and I have a listener there. It gives you a good like signal to broadcast from. It's going to carry everywhere. And the people are going to find you because they're interested in what you're doing. So you said that your episodes are 15 to 20 minutes. I'm sure that's a a conscious effort. My episodes come out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That's four days a week. And I do a weekly news wrap, which is a newsletter on Sundays. So I'm putting out, officially, I'm putting out content five days a week. And that doesn't include, you know, my Instagram lives or whatever might come up. My episodes... Monday through Wednesday are 10 to 15 minutes. And my Thursday episodes are typically a little bit more like 15 or 20 because I often put in a little something extra. I put in an original report, a feature. Maybe I put in a snippet of a full interview that I did with somebody on that Thursday because Thursday is Israel's Friday. Our work week, like many Arab nations as well, which a lot of people don't know this, is actually Sunday to Thursday. And so the Thursday episode is my bulkiest episode because I recognize that it's going to be the one that people listen to over the weekend. It's like the magazine style show. It's 10 to 12 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, because I recognize that people just want to get caught up quickly. That's my slogan. Get caught up quickly. People are tired of news talk and analysis. They just want to know what's going on and move into their day. And that's what I'm doing. I'm giving you the bite. So you also were a researcher on this Ghost of Beirut docudrama for Showtime. Tell me about that. How did you get involved in that? That was one of the coolest projects I've ever done in my life. It was huge. It was six months of research. I got involved because the writer of the show, Avi Isakharov, is just a brilliant, genius writer. And he's responsible for the show Fauda, which is a super popular Israeli drama that he wrote. He's a longtime journalist, and he took his journalism skills and put it to TV later on in life. So actually... I was sent by the Jerusalem Post to cover a season premiere of Fauda years ago, and I was all excited about it. And whatever I do, I always look for the writer. I'm always desperate to give writers the attention and credit that they so deeply deserve and just don't seem to get for media productions. And because I'm a writer, I always make it my business to find the writer and tell the writer, which means in Hebrew, basically all the respect goes to you. I found him and I told him what I thought about his work. I made sure to follow up with him. I put him on my newsletter, which I forgot that I had done that. 
And he was getting these weekly updates from me where I send out a newsletter on Sundays. At the top, I write a little personal blurb about what I'm working on, what I care about. And underneath, I put five news stories. And so I forgot that I had put boldly thrown his name onto that email list. And, you know, unbeknownst to me, he had been opening them and reading them every week. And when he was working on this American production in which he was going to be working with Americans, and he knew that I was a journalist and he knew that I had the skills. I was the person that he reached out to. And actually, this was a, for a different program. The original program he wanted me to work on with him, it wasn't a go. Something else got selected that he had been shopping around, I think two years later. And I had been keeping up with him. You know, he gave me the taste of the fruit at the beginning and I followed up with him every month. You know, hey, how's that project? <laughs> Eventually we got to work together and it was it was like doing a big journalistic work for six months. Now, the real life story, what's the time period of that? Is that like the 90s, the early 2000s? We actually have to stretch back to 1978 for the beginnings of this story. This story is taking place. There's four episodes. The first two are happening during the first Lebanon war. And the second two are happening in the second Lebanon war, which is happening later and after, even after that second Lebanon war. So that's the time frame that we're working with. If you're not familiar or the listeners are not familiar, Israel was occupying Lebanon at the border, right around the border. And uh, it was a, a very tumultuous time. And so that's what this story dives into. Okay. What did research entail? And how is it the same or different than what you do as a journalist? Deadlines. <laughs> no deadlines. Can you imagine? You must have been chewing your arm off. You're like, when, when do I do this? Yeah, you need a deadline. Can you imagine? I'm asking for deadlines. And so doing research is no is a no brainer when you know that you've got 15 words to write. Doing research is a no brainer when you know that you're only expected X, Y and Z. So this being my first my first non-news TV research, I was just sort of hitting the nail on the head slowly and slowly and slowly the entire way through. I didn't have any response. I was reading books, taking notes, hoping that people were reading my notes. And I'll tell you, I saw the show. People were reading my notes. Okay, like when I saw the, the final product, I was like, okay, I guess they read the book review. I guess they read the outline. I guess they read this little nugget. I, I conducted interviews. I went from literally south to north to find people who were experts who lived during that time or people who were in the Mossad or I interviewed former Prime Minister Ehud Olmert for this project because he was in his role at the time when the assassination took place. So it was basically like being a journalist, but doing it long and slow. Okay. <laughs> do you think that this is something that you want to do more of that's sort of a hybrid of the journalism you do? I will tell you that I loved the end result. Seeing the research on the screen, seeing those little nuggets that you uncovered. And as a journalist yourself, 
you know, because people will ask you all kinds of questions. And somebody recently asked me, why would you conduct an interview when you could just read the book? Like, let's say you meet somebody and they published a book, right? I met lots of people that published books about this and published articles about this. And they had requested, of course, naturally, many of them said, do not come to my office unless you've read all of my work. And I would, but you still always get more in an interview. You still always feel the passion. And the cool thing is that I had two people that I was working with. One was Avi Isakharov, the writer and journalist. And the other was Leo Raz, who is a huge explosive actor here in Israel. And he's the lead character in Fauda. And he was also a producer on this project. And I sat with him and they wanted different things. Lior wanted me to understand people's personalities. Were they easy to get along with? Were they difficult? Did they have any habits? So when I was sitting down with people who were academics, that kind of stuff was more difficult for them to express to me or it wasn't published in their books and it was something that I did need to ask about. Whereas when I would sit down with Avi, he wanted to know dates and facts and who had this child and which was the mother and was it a mistress and, you know, all all these these things. So journalistically, I think that it was a nice combination of using my journalistic skills, but also getting to have this this fun times with making characters really come to life. And I enjoyed it and I would love to do it again. It is different than the book because the books are constructs as well. You know, this is the representation of the facts that we were able to put into a, a book form, but that doesn't necessarily 100%. mean you, it doesn't mean you, you don't have the, the emotion. You don't, you know, the things that you, you, you can pick up in the interview. And I know I've had this experience. I'm sure you have as well, where having that conversation with that person is going to you're going to have a better understanding of them. And it's not just reporting the facts, but it's also trying to capture that person. And the essence or like what lights them up? What research did they do that they were like, oh, and you're going to love this because guess what I found out about this. And I, I met with people who said, okay, well, this isn't in the book. And that's because I couldn't really find the source you know, because people don't want to publish something that they don't have good sources for. But if you're making a movie, you can. You have a little bit more leeway if you're going to say, OK, this isn't 100 percent historical representation. This is a, a drama. This is a dramatized version. So you, there's different mediums that required. I want to dare I say different sets of facts or, you know, so alternative um, facts. Uh, <laughs> but I was scared of saying I was like, I'm not going to say uh, alternative. Oh, no, they'll you'll show up in the search somewhere. So where are you going next? You know, what's your focus going forward, continuing to do the podcast, continuing to go out and, and cover these protests? What are you going to be doing? I'll tell you that I really sorely miss TV. I miss TV. I miss TV production. I miss the excitement of TV production. I miss working with producers that have visions for how things should be executed or amazing elements that we could bring in. And what I've been thinking about and focusing on now, and I hope that you'll join me in this energy, is getting a team so that I can take my podcast into a TV production and be able to have a 10 to 15 minute on-camera broadcast where I can bring so much more of my essence but of course, 
when you asked me, why did I get into podcasting? Podcasting is such an accessible, it's so accessible and it's so possible for one person or a small team. I do work with other people, but it's so possible to execute a podcast. To execute a 15 minute on-camera broadcast, that is serious business. That requires additional people. I cannot do that 100% by myself, despite I'm working on it. I'm just trying to elevate and lift into a place where I'll be able to transition this podcast. And I'm never going to abandon the podcast. The podcast will always be available. I believe so much in audio, but I, I want to have both. I want to have the audio going out and I also want to have an on camera and I also want to present things and be able to bring people into studio and, and do more fun things with media. Shanna. This has been a fascinating conversation. I encourage people to check out your podcast. I would imagine they would also want to follow you on Instagram because it sounds like you're doing some really interesting stuff there. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so fun to speak with journalists, and I appreciate that you're doing this work. Thank you. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who report the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. To make sure you don't miss an episode of It's All Journalism, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco is our audio producer. Amber Healy writes our web content. Amia Brust is our booking manager. Steph Thomas manages our social media. Nick Dupre composed our theme music. Carolyn Belefsky designed our logo. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>